0: Moderator for tonight's
1: broadcast. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Well, there's a whole lot of new people moving on out to the range, but that's okay. There's always room for more. It's high noon for Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm Your Moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also occasionally find me on Gab at I'm Your Moderator, and the merch site is www.cancelcotour.com. Today is the 154th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. The patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. you all got your stories straight. You did your best. And it just turns out that no one believes you. Oh, well. Gonna have to make up new stories, I guess. Or you could just reconnect to reality. That's what all of us want. And along these lines... I just want to extend a warm Wednesday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome to the show. Maybe you're only hearing this because your friend just got in the car and their phone is already connected to your Bluetooth and now this podcast is just playing automatically in your car and you're thinking, make it stop, make it stop. Why is this man mocking and ridiculing my deeply held beliefs? But don't worry. You don't actually have any deeply held beliefs. How do I know that? Because you can't explain them at all. So the thing is, you just got to stick around for about an hour. And then maybe come on back tomorrow and Friday. And hey, maybe next week. You get through that. You let the mocking and ridicule kind of roll off your back. You understand that the ideas rattling around in your little commie brain actually are as stupid and evil as I say, and it's not personal. Just imagine that you have, let's say, a virus. But there's a cure. You just have to connect back to reality. You don't even have to inject yourself with an experimental gene therapy that may well kill you. Isn't that nice? So on your side of the fence, you know, not on the range, you can only cure viruses by injecting yourself with something the pharma companies. Tell you to inject yourself with so that they can make lots and lots of money. But in the range, all you have to do to get rid of your mental virus is immigrate back to America by reconnecting with reality. And all of us are going to welcome you. See, that's the thing. That's what I want you to understand, commies. Yeah, we're pretty upset that you're still so brainwashed and still doing such terrible things to the country. But... We understand it's not all your fault and what we're asking of you is just to open your mind just a tiny little bit and realize that they lied to you about a pandemic and then they tried to steal an election and the sooner you come to terms with those two things, the sooner you will be on your way back to America and then all of those angry, insecure, fearful thoughts you have about how the world around you is actually attacking you, those will all go away. And you'll realize, oh my goodness, I inadvertently walked myself into joining a hate movement. Hey, it is what it is, Kami. It is what it is. Now, this morning on The War Room, Rahim Kassam released the numbers from the latest Rasmussen poll. He and Jack Posobiec have been doing analysis on it all morning, and the numbers are very, very nice to hear because it turns out a whole lot of people understand what we have understood Since the day after the election. And there is only one direction this narrative is going. And it's in our favor. So here we are. RasmussenReports.com today. 55% of voters support election audits. Arizona's ongoing audit of 2020 election results has been widely criticized. But a majority of voters nationwide approve of the election integrity effort. A new national telephone and online survey by Rasmussen Reports finds that 55% of likely U.S. voters support forensic audits of election results to ensure there was no vote fraud. 29% oppose such audits, and 17% are not sure. Let's stop right there. Okay, so 55% we are now at 5 out of 9 Americans. This is nationwide. Support full forensic election results. This is not whether or not they support the Arizona audit. This is about whether or not they want to see audits everywhere. Right? How do you interpret this question any other way? If you say to someone, do you support forensic audits? Just conceptually. And they answer yes. You can imagine that they're going to support that position no matter where you ask them the question. Hey, what about Maricopa County? Yes. Fulton County? Yes. Philadelphia? Uh Uh-huh. How about Detroit? Yup. What about in Wisconsin where Facebook basically ran the election? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do it there too. Nevada? (laughs) Yup. You can keep going. When does that principle go away for these people? Never. Right? So, all of the clownish nonsense that people like Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper and Katie Hobbs and all the other commies have put out there has made absolutely no difference. If anything, it has only informed the nation that this is what's happening and people are finding no reason to think that this is a bad thing. And of course, why would any American acting in good faith and being honest, think that it's a bad idea to make sure that our elections were fair and that the results we were told were actually reflecting what real legal American voters actually voted for. Everyone should want that. And. The way I just said that actually makes me think of that Katie Hobbs clip from yesterday. And I was I was thinking about that this morning because that second part, remember, there was two parts. She said that she believed that the results that Arizona certified reflected the will of the voters in Arizona, which is kind of a very abstract way to talk about it. She didn't say we are 100 percent certain. That the, that the election we certified, the results we certified are accurate. This is what real people, legal voters voted for. She She didn't say that and she can't say that. But the second part of what she said, I was thinking about it this morning and I'm like, wait a second. She said that there is no way to overturn the results even if this audit was valid, right? So let's unpack that a second. If the audit is valid, then the definition of valid must be that the audit accurately shows what happened in the election, what the actual result was, whether or not all the ballots exist, whether or not the ballots that exist are legitimate and real and not fake ballots thrown in there. Whether or not a thousand people voting from the same address was a massive apartment building or an empty lot. But she's saying that if the audit is valid, there's no way to overturn the election anyway. Why isn't she interested in the possibility that the audit could be valid? and absolutely support everything she has said the entire time about the accuracy of the election. She kind of just gave up the game there, honestly. And I said this yesterday, but this is kind of a subtle, rooted, truth version of what she's talking about. Like, if you're going to say that the audit is invalid, then you should actually be able to show why the audit would be invalid. And you would have to go beyond just saying over and over again that they're not following best practices because that's meaningless. The people who are cheating are those same ones who outlined what best practices are. She should be saying that we are extremely confident that we got this right. And if the audit doesn't reflect the results we certified almost exactly, then there has to be some problem with this audit, and I would look forward to seeing what these auditors did to manipulate our data and try to trick the citizens of Arizona. And then she could, of course, respond to those, prove that the auditors had done something wrong, maybe even maliciously, and then the issue would be put to bed, wouldn't it? And we wouldn't have audits around the rest of the country because we would have verifiable proof that the auditors had acted in bad faith and yielded a bad, untrustworthy result. But that's not what she's doing. She's simply trying to poison the water. And she has now already retreated to the idea that even if this audit is valid, there's nothing we can do. In that hypothetical... Not that it actually is a hypothetical. She knows what's coming. But in that hypothetical is the acceptance of the idea that what the auditors will find is proof of rampant fraud and abuse. So her only option left is to call the audit invalid. Why not wait, Katie Hobbs? Why not wait and see what the results are? What if this audit backs you up completely? Then what are you going to say? Oh, yeah, it actually was valid. (laughs) You've put yourself in a position where no one is going to trust you no matter what. And that's what you get for lying and obfuscating for months on end while appearing on television three, four, five, ten times a day. But let's get back to this Rasmussen survey. okay? so five out of nine likely voters in the United States support forensic audits. That is not going to change, and that number should horrify every commie in the country. Now, you do have 29% who think that this is a terrible idea, and those people, watch Rachel Maddow, those people almost definitely voted for Joe Biden, and that might be all of Joe Biden's voter base, by the way. And then we've got 17% who are unsure, which is, Maybe I'm speculating here. I don't think so. But it seems like that 17% would be open to the idea that forensic audits might be a good idea. You know, this is one of those issues that it would seem like most people actually have an opinion on. But apparently 17% of people don't have any opinion on it. And if that's the case, then it doesn't seem like they would be opposed to the audits. And so when I try to think of what person might answer this question this way, I imagine it could potentially be a bunch of people who are probably not very passionate about politics on either side. They probably in some way consider themselves a centrist, which is one of the most meaningless words ever right now. But they're not in active opposition to this stuff. So now you've got 71, 72% of the country who is not opposed to full forensic audits. That number should absolutely horrify the Rachel Maddow's and the Katie Hobbses of the world. Right? Because that means that the big lie narrative didn't work at all. It worked for a little while. Made people shut up, made people scared to state their actual beliefs. But we are way past that point now. And there is no way that number is going to reverse itself. The new survey also found that 41 percent of voters still don't believe that Joe Biden won the 2020 presidential election fairly. Okay, now, again, I was talking about that number yesterday. There have been other polls, including from Rasmussen, that have asked that question in different ways. And we have seen. A similar number over 50 percent, depending on how the question is asked. But this is real straightforward. Forty one percent of voters still don't believe that Joe Biden won the 2020 presidential election fairly. And within that is 70 percent of Republicans, 45 percent of unaffiliated voters and 10 percent of Democrats. 10% of Democrats do not believe that Joe Biden won legitimately. Sounds like a small number. And it's the sort of number where you might think, well, after the 2016 election, you know, throughout 2017, there might have been 10% of Republicans that would have been convinced by the media story that Trump was illegitimate because of Russian interference. But I think the critical difference is, In that scenario, we had all of culture, all of media, all of the experts telling us and reinforcing the narrative that somehow Trump was illegitimate. We had the politicians out there saying that, and they weren't censored. No one said that Hillary Clinton was repeating the big lie. We had all of culture trying to get us to believe that Donald Trump was illegitimately elected. This situation is the exact opposite. We have all of culture trying to convince us that Joe Biden was legitimately elected. And even despite that, we now have this much of the country understanding that he was not, including one out of every 10 communists, which makes that 10 percent the most redeemable out of the communists polled. And hopefully they will migrate back to America. But one out of every 10 Democrats has already come over to our side and realized what the truth of the 2020 election was. That's enormous. Imagine what that number would be if everything about the 2020 election wasn't censored. And of course, Democrats are obviously the ones who are most affected by the censorship in the sense that their view becomes the most skewed because they are never exposed to the counter-narrative. They don't even bother to look at any of the evidence. They don't bother to think about any of it. Now, undoubtedly, people like me, people who express the ideas that we all express, are the most affected by censorship in terms of being censored. Don't mean to imply that at all. But imagine what it would be like to only get your news from CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post and Twitter. And all you see over and over and over and over again is the same narrative pounded and pounded and pounded into your head. These are the people most likely to believe that Joe Biden is legitimate, that Donald Trump is crazy and evil, that his supporters are all uh, conspiracy theorists. And despite that, One out of 10 of them has already come to understand the truth. That is nothing but a massive accomplishment for everyone on our side who is out there trying to share the truth with people, trying to say, hey, I understand we don't agree about this, but you have to just have a look. Open your mind. Because there's no one who could possibly believe that Joe Biden got 81 million votes from the Rasmussen piece in February, 34% of likely voters did not believe Biden won the election fairly got that. So four months later, that number has moved up 7% overall in America in an April survey, a majority of voters, 51% believed that it was at least somewhat likely that cheating affected the outcome. Okay, so that's what I was referring to before. It has been months now that over half the country believes that the result of the election, as it's told to us, could have been the result of cheating. And you can imagine that number, if that was the question they had asked, would have grown as well. Because the 41% were told today That is a much stronger version of the question they had asked back in April. And it turns out the same poll found that less than half the country thinks that Biden's trip to the G7 was successful. Okay, so all of these numbers combined should paint the picture that the narrative, the counter narrative to the nonsense the mainstream media is putting out there, our narrative, That's getting out there and people are hearing it. They're understanding it and they're becoming comfortable with saying it to pollsters. All right. That's always the way you should look at these surveys, especially a question like this. That's so contentious and that people are incentivized against stating their true belief. This many people are now totally comfortable to tell a pollster that they don't think Joe Biden is is really a legitimate president. That's amazing. Now, I had a conversation over the weekend, and I've had a lot of similar conversations to this, but my friend, who largely agrees with me about most of this stuff, although he gets annoyed when things I say might happen, don't happen, which I can understand, you know? Hey, everyone kind of wants to get this whole thing over with. Like, let's get this settled and move on. But a lot of Friends of mine who agree with me about the substance of almost all of this, nonetheless, don't think that it's going to be possible to get Joe Biden out of office and to get Trump reinstated. And obviously, I disagree with that. But in some sense, I see where they're coming from, you know, and we we talked about it in depth. I was like, okay, well, there's basically two ways to think that Trump couldn't possibly be reinstated. One is to think that all the stuff I'm saying about the election is simply untrue. And that's what commies think. The other way is to think that it all is true, but it would be such an upheaval for the country to actually try to reinstate Trump and remove Biden. And it would be so difficult constitutionally and otherwise to do it that it just simply won't happen. You know, we're just going to have no choice but to ride it out. Until the next elections. And it's not like that is a zero possibility chance. I mean, I don't believe it at all. But I see why the logic makes sense. I also think that that view is approaching the issue from the wrong direction. Because the question we should be asking is, once it becomes obvious to the entire country that Joe Biden is not a legitimate president, and we are getting very, very close to that, if this without the conclusion of a single forensic audit. If this poll is accurate and we are up to 55% of the country wanting forensic audits, 41% of the country believing that Joe Biden is illegitimate, 41% of the country will tell a pollster that Joe Biden is illegitimate. How are we going to be in three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, Once the Arizona audit results actually do come out, the full results, what's it going to be? 60% think Joe Biden's illegitimate, 70%, 75%? That 29% of people who do not want to see any forensic audits, those people are going to dig their heels in and keep digging the hole deeper and deeper. For themselves, they're going to move further and further and further away from the reality so that they can try to preserve the fantasy that they have been living in for the last six years, where Trump is the bad guy, everyone else is evil, and that they are the resistance. They're the truth tellers, they're the ones fighting for the marginalized and oppressed. That's where they want to stay. Because if they admit that Joe Biden, is illegitimate and they understand that no, not even close to 81 million people voted for Joe Biden. Your view is actually the one held by a small minority of Americans. Their whole world crumbles, right? All of their moral opinions about all of this stuff. They believe that they represent the majority. That's why they hold the beliefs. You can't get social credit for holding a false belief about reality, professing beliefs that you simply do not hold in any real way, if you are also in the minority, that would just never work. The culture reinforces the idea that they are in the majority. So they continue to express the belief that they think is held by the majority because it will provide them with social credit and social benefit. But when we finally have A true verifiable result, a clear way of showing that there is no way Joe Biden won in Maricopa County, which means there's no way he won in Arizona. What do these people do? There's going to be a portion of that 29% who dig it even deeper and start trying to go crazy and start trying to say that there's a coup underway because they don't know what coup means. (laughs) And they don't understand anything that's happening. But we're going to get some of them. We're going to peel off some of that 29%. Maybe it's only 4 or 5%. But we're going to get almost all of that 17% there in the middle. And then what happens at 70%? What happens when 70% of the country knows that the guy pretending to be president is not president? Can the country really just wait For the next election and the next election, we just work around the edges on election integrity and hope that the human election fraud machine, Stacey Abrams, won't try to step into more states and make herself rich by stealing elections. That's not going to work. We can't sit for three and a half years with an illegitimate fake president pretending to lead the country. Again, the biggest national security threat of all time is the fact that we do not have a legitimate president. Every single day that Joe Biden stays in that office is a precarious day for America in relation to how America operates within the global community. So I don't see a path for Joe Biden to stay in his fake office after We reach the point where America fully understands that the 2020 election was a total and complete fraud on the American people. It was a theft of the American presidency. That is what they attempted. They got caught. And their only remaining option is to try to push this view that the audit is illegitimate, that nothing can be done, and then figure out a way to distract the American people so that they will not demand justice and accountability for this. Again, I always come back to the point where this is not just about flipping states. This is not about audits where we eventually find out, oh, Joe Biden didn't have enough legitimate electors to get over 270. These are actually Trump electors. We need to certify these states. Then we flip them over to Trump. And then bingo, bango, Trump is president. That's not what this is. These are crimes. This is one massive crime with thousands and thousands of co-conspirators. All of them are guilty of crimes against this country, ranging all the way up to treason. Some of them might, might get away with fines or prison sentences because of the role they played in the election fraud or the cover-up. But for the rest of them, they have essentially attacked this country on behalf of foreign nations, many of them paid by foreign nations, many of them paid by American organizations working with and on behalf of foreign nations. And I'm talking about the tech companies and the media companies here. This is a crime. It can't just be allowed to stand, especially not when all the people know the truth. And we are coming up on that point. I don't know if it's going to be two weeks from now or six weeks from now or 12 weeks from now. Obviously, we all want it to be the shortest possible amount of time so that we can move on to the next phase and try to get the country back on its feet after this crime. But there's no point now where America is just going to go back to sleep. And if we already have 55% of the country in favor of forensic audits, how in the world are they going to successfully try to invalidate the Arizona audit? Who is going to be left to believe that? Anyone? It's 29% or less of the public who are going to buy the Katie Hobbs story, the Rachel Maddow story. And this is why you can see the panic. I would be panicking, too, if I had been lying to my entire audience for the last year, but really the last six years. Now, switching subjects without a clear segue. (laughs) The New York City mayoral primary was held last night. And this is from Reuters. Brooklyn Bureau President Eric Adams, a former police captain who put public safety at the center of his campaign for New York City mayor, was leading a field of 13 Democrat candidates in Tuesday's primary election, though the outcome won't likely be known for weeks. With 90 percent of the in-person votes counted, Adams had been picked as the top choice on 31 percent of ballots, but with at least 87,000 absentee ballots yet to be processed and a new ranked choice voting system in place, Final results are not expected until mid-July at the earliest. Now, what in the world is causing that? Why will it take them three more weeks to get the results off 87,000 absentee ballots? In Maricopa County, they were going through, I think by the end of the process, 100,000 ballots a day. While doing a full hand count, an audit filmed very careful review of every single ballot. And they were getting through 100,000 a day. But New York City is going to take three plus weeks to get the final results Because of 87,000 absentee ballots that they just simply can't count. And the excuse is that the ranked choice voting system is going to make it more difficult. How? How is that going to be more difficult? We're just now supposed to accept that election results take weeks to determine. Doesn't it seem obvious at this point that if they're taking this long to give a final outcome, then what they're really doing is figuring out how they can create the results they want in a legitimate seeming way. Here's the explanation for why the ranked choice is going to take so long. So what they do is that after the results from yesterday, they'll take the last place candidate and then redistribute that candidate's votes based on what those ballots list as their second choice. And then they'll repeat that process up the line. We know already that the machines have the ability to process ranked choice voting. And we've seen that that is one of the ways that elections are manipulated To begin with in the machines, this has been a story that has been told many times since November 3rd. But why should anyone have any faith in this process? Why can't they just process these, get it done and put it up? From the article, the Board of Elections intends to announce the first round of ranked choice results from its tabulation of in-person votes on June 29th and plans to release a second round that includes some absentee ballots a week later. Final results are expected by the week of July 12th, after the deadline for voters to fix or cure deficient ballots has passed. Isn't that amazing? So the voters have weeks to fix their deficient ballots. Once again, we see a Democrat-initiated voting system that opens the door for fraud and abuse. Every single thing that they are doing to change the methods of voting all around the country is consistently aimed at them being able to put in whatever results they want. I hope that the citizens of New York, although there are way too many communists there, are still awake enough and smart enough to say, hey, this isn't right. And I got to say, it's pretty incredible that Andrew Yang finished fourth. This guy was made to be a rising star in the Democrat Party. He got support from all sorts of people. And by the way, I know I've said this a bunch of times, but I donated like $1 or $5 to seven or eight different Democrat candidates because I wanted there to be more candidates and more discussion so that Bernie Sanders would not be the nominee. And Andrew Yang was one of the people that I sent money to because if you remember, candidates were allowed to stay in the debate process based on the number of individual donations they received. But Andrew Yang is essentially a one-trick pony. He got into his universal basic income thing and a lot of people were like, okay, I want to see what this is about. I know that's what I was thinking. I was like, at least he is a different sounding voice on that stage. Now, obviously, after COVID, after we've seen what the governments in blue states have done as far as destroying businesses, keeping their citizens unemployed, and trying to create this permanent dependent class of people who needs government money just to get by. The attractiveness of Andrew Yang's bold new ideas has really worn off. We've all seen what that actually means now, where they're trying to go with this. And I don't think most Americans are interested in becoming part of the permanently dependent class. Now, let's see what the communists in California are doing with their creation of a permanently dependent class. It was announced on Monday that California will pay off all past due rent accumulated during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is from ABC seven governor Gavin Newsom says, California will pay off all past due rent that accumulated in the nation's most populated state because of the fallout from the coronavirus pandemic a promise to make landlords whole again while giving renters a clean slate. Left unsettled is whether California will continue to ban evictions for unpaid rent beyond June 30th, a pandemic-related order that was meant to be temporary but is proving difficult to undo. Federal eviction protections are also set to expire on June 30th. California had passed its own protections that applied to more people. Newsom and legislative leaders are meeting privately to, des- to decide what to do, part of the negotiations over the state's roughly $260 billion operating budget. An extension of the ev- eviction ban seems likely to give California more time to spend all the money to cover unpaid rent, but landlords and tenants' rights groups are arguing over how long that extension should last. So, this sounds on its face like a reasonable thing to do for all the landlords. I mean, California made it so that renters would not have to pay for their rent and that the landlords could not evict them, thereby making it impossible for building owners to make their normal amount of income. The communists in California decided that they weren't going to allow normal people to work They closed down all sorts of industries, made it impossible for those people to pay their rent. So rather than dealing with the eviction crisis, they said, "Now you can stay in your place. Just don't pay any rent. You're still going to owe it all at the end, though. So. The landlords made no money. Now, California is rushing in to save the landlords. Making it so that those debts that people would have accrued from not paying rent disappear. So all of this then is taken over by the government. But what in the world are they doing? So many people in California continued to pay rent throughout that entire period. I am one of those people. So me and all of the other responsible adults out there who understood it as our obligation to continue paying rent are basically just made into complete suckers. And I hope there is appropriate backlash to this because they basically California has now basically just given the finger to everyone who continued to pay rent. We're talking about tens of thousands of dollars that people gave to their landlords. Now only to see California go ahead and bail out everyone else who didn't live up to that responsibility. And by the way, I'm not trying to come down on people who were broke last year. I was one of them. I'm not mad at them. But I'm sure I'm not the only one who this doesn't sit right with. Why did I pay tens of thousands of dollars to my landlord if I could have just chosen not to And had California foot the bill. I'm really interested to see how California residents react to this. I mean, if Gavin wants to go out and just forgive 2020 rent and allow people to make claims and recoup all the money they spent, all right, make it equal for everyone. But as the program stands now, this is just a gift to the building owners, and to all of the people who chose to stop paying rent or had to stop paying rent. Again, not mad at those people. But you can't turn the entire class of people in California who continued to live up to their financial obligations due to the leases they signed. You can't tell them that they are just out of luck. Yeah, sorry, you know, no big deal. I know you spent all those those tens of thousands of dollars, but You shouldn't have. Is that what they're saying? They're actively encouraging irresponsibility here. They're incentivizing free riders. That is not what a responsible government does. But it might be the sort of thing that a governor facing recall does. And that's really the reason all of this is happening. Now let's shift to COVID and the vaccine. Today in the Daily Mail, CDC advisory group says there is a likely link between COVID-19 vaccines and rare heart inflammation in young adults after nearly 500 reported cases. An advisory group for the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention say there is a likely link between rare cases of heart inflammation in adolescents and young adults and the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. In a presentation released on Wednesday, the COVID-19 Vaccine Safety Technical Work Group discussed nearly 500 reports of the heart inflammation known as myocarditis in vaccinated adults under age 30. The group of doctors said the risk of myocarditis or pericarditis following vaccination with the mRNA based shots in adolescents and young adults is notably higher after the second dose and in males. It comes as the advisory committee on immunization practices is set to meet this week to assess the possibility of a link between the heart condition and the mRNA vaccines. According to the presentation, there have been 484 preliminary reports of myocarditis or pericarditis in young people under age 30 as of June 11th. So far, 323 have been confirmed by the CDC and 148 are still under review. Skipping down a bit. With more than 90.6 million young Americans under age 30 who have received one or both doses of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, it means just 0.000534 percent of the people who have been administered the shots have reported such an effect. And I can't stand when they present statistics this way. They are acting like it is such a minor, unlikely problem even though the reports increase and increase and increase as more people get vaccinated and as time goes on. We are talking about a group of people, a demographic of people who are at virtually zero risk of dying from COVID. A group who has almost no risk of even becoming seriously ill from COVID. And we have this vaccine out there that we're told is very safe and very effective and that everybody should be taking it. And all of a sudden, we have this heart condition. We have thousands of deaths recorded by VARES. We have all these negative reactions that they're pretending are not from the vaccine, but obviously are. And these are being presented as something that is really insignificant. It really doesn't matter. It's such a small percentage. Well, it's not a small percentage if you're the one who took a vaccine because your government told you to or your workplace forced you to and now you have a serious health condition as a result when the disease you are vaccinating yourself to prevent has almost no chance of causing any long term health consequence or even any short term severe illness, much less death. We're talking about a group of people where it's like one in a hundred thousand might die with coronavirus, not even from coronavirus, just with among other comorbidities, because, of course, these deaths aren't recorded in any way differently than normal covid deaths are recorded. All covid death statistics you see must be viewed as a death with a positive test for coronavirus. And we know that the PCR tests at the cycle threshold used can yield up to 90 plus percent false positives. So we're counting these deaths among this age group that just so happened to have a positive PCR test for COVID with an overwhelming likelihood that that positive test is a false positive. And something else kills these people, but they are nonetheless added to this death statistic. And even with this terrible data practice, the stats on death for this age group are microscopic. We're being told that that is still very dangerous to the point where we need to take a vaccine for it, where businesses can mandate a vaccine for it, where we can do things like have vaccine passports and then prevent people from doing anything like traveling. And we're supposed to believe that that statistic is scary, but that this statistic is irrelevant because it's so tiny. Well, this statistic is entirely avoidable simply by not vaccinating people who don't need it. It is amazing to me how many doctors and public health officials are just defying the Hippocratic oath as if it doesn't exist, as if they have absolutely no responsibility to their patients whatsoever. And then we are actually overjoyed when some small amount of reporting like this comes out. But down to the end of the article, Dr. Tom Shimabukuro I guess (laughs) deputy director of the CDC's immunization safety office said in a presentation that data from one of the agency's safety monitoring systems vaccine safety data link suggests a rate of 12.6 cases per million in the three weeks after the second shot in 12 to 39 year olds 12 year olds. Pfizer, whose vaccine has been authorized for use in Americans as young as 12, previously said it had not observed a higher rate of heart inflammation than would normally be expected in the general population. I wonder if they were telling the truth back then. Moderna had said it could not identify a causal association with the heart inflammation cases and its vaccine. Yeah, of course not. Although health officials in Israel have also determined that there is likely a link between the vaccination and the heart inflammation, concerns about the more infectious Indian Delta variant have prompted the country to urge 12 to 15 year olds to get vaccinated. Isn't that incredible? We are being intentionally fear mongered over the Delta variant. And what are we supposed to think about that? That people are dropping dead in the streets from the Delta variant as if it's an entirely new disease and we can bring that logic out again. Oh, well, this is a brand new virus. We've never faced anything like it. Oh, there's so many unknowns about this new virus. That's what they told us about COVID-19 the entire time. Turns out, nope, works like a normal virus. Now we have the Delta variant, which is also COVID-19, but just a little different. And it's called the Delta variant, which means it must be way different. So it's scary. And they're using this fear to make continually younger groups of people get this vaccine. And they are hoping that there are enough commie parents out there who don't understand any of what they're being told, who have no ability to do moral thinking on their own. They just do whatever the party says. And they're being encouraged to have their kids get this shot because they're being told they should be scared of something. They're being scared about something that almost definitely cannot negatively affect their child's health. And in response, they are doing something that definitely can affect their child's health. While being told that, hey, you know, it's really unlikely that it's going to do this. Even as it becomes clearer and clearer that the likelihood of it causing myocarditis in their child is very real. These parents are being told that they should basically play Russian roulette with their child's life or else they're disobeying the science. And that would make them irresponsible, bad party members. And they can't do that because if they do that, then, well, people might think that they're Trump supporters. Now, on Telegram this morning in the info stream, I posted a short video that some normal person made on TikTok talking about an event that was being held this weekend in Seattle where they're having a rally or protest or get together or some commie something that they do in Seattle for black and brown trans people. And at the event, they don't want to be exclusive. You don't have to be a black or brown trans person to come. But if you're a white person who wants to come, then you need to pay a reparations fee of somewhere between 10 and $50. And the person in the video makes the point of how ridiculous it would be if this was the other way around, how much outrage there would be if there was an event for white people where non-whites were charged to get into the event, but white people were allowed in for free. There would be a national uproar over that. But also think about what this really is, right? They're going to shame all the white people who come. And of course, all of those white people are going to be commies as well. So they will have already adopted that shame and that guilt. They will have internalized it. And they'll be more than happy to pay their reparations and encourage other people to do so. It's getting to the point where you have to start wondering if these black and brown groups, these communist organizations that are holding these events will eventually start making the guilty white allies who come to these events wear white hoods just so that they stand out so that they have to mark themselves as the oppressor with the same symbolism used by oppressors of the past. What is going to happen at that point? They're going to have all the white people wear the white hoods and the cloaks to this event, just so that everyone at the event knows that those are the evil ones. That's how it's going to start. And then all of a sudden, what we are really going to have is just straight up clan rallies. That's what's that is what's coming. Call me crazy. I know that this is kind of tongue in cheek and I am joking on some level, but this actually seems like something these people might get to. They want to make sure that no one has any doubt that the white people at the event are the oppressors. And these white people would probably be like, yeah, okay, I understand. I am the oppressor. I'll go ahead and put the Klan hood on and I'll come to your event to support you, of course. But yeah, I'll I'll gladly wear the Klan hood to this event. And then what do we have? We have a Klan rally. That is exactly where this brand of communism and racism is headed. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. But is that really just impossible to believe? I don't think it is. Now, a week or so ago, when Trump announced that he was going to go down to the border with Greg Abbott, I came on this podcast and said, between now and June 30th, when Trump visits the border, they are going to have to send Kamala down there. And lo and behold couple hours ago kamala harris announced that she would be going down to the border she's going to go visit el paso with dhs secretary alejandro mayorkas and i imagine that she will have a very scripted tour of one of the border facilities where they'll go in and show off how nice it is inside. Everything's just fine. We've moved so many immigrants out of here. Jen Psaki at the White House press conference today was actually talking about how the reason that they're going down isn't because Trump is going down next week. It's actually because they have reached the point where it makes sense for Kamala to visit because they've made so much progress well, the point of the border visit is not so that you guys can try to show off. The point of the border visit was so that Kamala Harris or Joe Biden actually had to go witness with their own eyes. The humanitarian disaster that they then themselves have created. But instead, they're recasting the entire thing as if it's some sort of victory lap. It is unbelievable how incompetent these people are. And she's not even going down to one of the border hotspots. She's just going to El Paso. Trump is going to go show the nation and the world what is actually happening at the border next week. And Kamala Harris is going to look like an absolute clown. She has been forced to visit the border for the first time because of what Trump did. She's going to try to present it as a success of the Biden administration. And then five days later, that whole story is going to be blown up completely. And they're hoping that the communist state media is going to be able to cover for them. They need to eventually come to terms with the fact that the communist state media isn't actually able to cover for them at all, okay? They've already lost the COVID narrative. They are losing the election narrative spectacularly. They're going to lose the narrative about one six and they're going to lose the vaccine narrative. What is it they think they can accomplish by continuing to present a false story to the American people? The media is not capable of covering for them. And the truth is they haven't ever been. They were capable of delaying things, but now they're facing a situation where it doesn't matter how long the media can delay. We are going to outlast them no matter what. And that's what's so pathetic about the Rachel Maddows and the Katie Hobbs of the world. They are fighting a losing battle and pretending that they're winning it by appealing to a reality that simply does not exist. The Democrats and the state media have always relied on moving quickly to the next distraction, the next story. But none of their distractions, none of their next stories are working at all. No one is budging about wanting to get to the bottom of November 3rd. The country is moving in our direction, not in their direction. There's only one way for this to go, and there will be no effective distraction. You know, a lot of people think that they might go into a full communications blackout or a power blackout or something else. And I'm not Sure, if that's true, I mean, that's a theory that's out there. I'm not sure I ascribe to that. But beyond that, what are they supposed to do? And I, it's continuously stunning that we haven't seen a wave of whistleblowers yet. I don't know what these people are thinking. They should just come out with it and admit what they've done and let the country fix it. But what can you do? Commies going to comming. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and parlor at I'm Your Moderator. Soon, I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'mYourModerator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at Anchor.fm by searching "Be Reasonable" with your moderator Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the ring. Backing as moderator for
0: tonight's broadcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.